So, check, check. One, two. We're back at it. Booking confirm episode two. Five star business practice for short term rentals. Mm-hmm. Christian and Dennis here, ready to roll. Christian, what are we talking about today? Hey, yo. We're going to talk about buying a short term rental property. <laughs> buying, not selling. Because no. we don't sell. No, we don't sell. We, we don't just sell. buy. We just buy. Um, so uh, if, if you uh, listen to our first episode, we got cut off. We've fixed those technical difficulties <laughs> in our production. But it was a great episode, wasn't it? But hey, we, we felt we felt proud about it and uh, keep the, uh, the feedback coming. And so kind of breaking up this episode into three kind of different sections uh, so, and, and, and we're going to come up with this, uh, with a, a template. So someone who is looking to buy, whether you own property or not, whether you're renting an apartment or you have a, a single family home or you're saving up to buy. Um, so what does it take? What are we looking for? Do you to local versus remote vacation rental versus flex prop? And this idea of knowing your customer or knowing your area, uh, by no means is this exhaustive. There's plenty of real estate experts out there. We're going to tailor this to you know the, the lens or look at it through the lens of acquiring short-term rental properties. Um, what's going to be you know low-touch, high-yield, both from an asset perspective, and then kind of looking through the lens of what type of customers or what kind of rates or returns or performance do we want to see. Now, everyone likes money. Uh, everyone wants their properties to be in high demand, uh, but not everyone's in a high-demand area. Um, you know. Christian, you and I, we moved to the, the, the city we're in, and I would say it was not in high demand. Um, yet we saw promise in staying versus going back to, you know, you know, cat, you know, cities or or places that people wanted to be. And so this idea that there's opportunity everywhere, wherever you start, um, you know, speak a little bit about, you know, we we chose to stay in a rural city in California. Yeah, there was a lot of potential in out. You know, outdoors or adventures. We're surrounded by three mountain ranges. If you if you have it, you know, in you to hike, camp, canoe, fly fish, whatever, uh, it's for you. But there was nothing really driving the identity of the city that would make anyone come here or stay. And so people kind of stayed via happenstance, graduations, colleges, trade schools, etc. Was kind of the norm in our city. Uh, but we saw promise in staying, and a lot of that had to do with you know. We, we wanted to create or build a city and, and we got a chance and we're continuing to have a chance to, to actually dictate the identity of our city, which not everyone has a chance to do. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to just touch on that a bit. You know, there's a, um, you know, in the, in the real estate purchasing, you know, market, if you're listening to these podcasts, chances are you're listening to other real estate podcasts and there's some really awesome, you know, real estate podcasts out there. There's a huge uh, push in the real estate movement to buy remotely, meaning buying somewhere you do not live. And it's often because the local market you live in is probably not a good market. And that's, and that's fine. And that's a fine position to have. And there is markets and there's people buying remotely successfully all over the place. I just want to push back on that with this. Um, we live in, in Redding, California. And by no means is this, you know, some booming metropolitan area. It's a city of a hundred thousand. Um, you know, it's a city that had been depressed for you know generations. You know, prior to us getting there, and we've seen it come on the rise. But you can do vacation rentals just about anywhere. 
And, and they, you know, vacation rental is kind of the word here. And we'll touch up more on this. You know, vacation rental is probably the bad word, you know, a bad word to describe it. Short-term rentals yep. is a better word to describe it. Because there's different types of short-term rentals. It's not always just the straight, you know, vacation destination rental. And so your city, where you're at, there's plenty of reasons people might come to your city. Um, we live in a city with 100,000 people. That means there's 100,000 reasons someone would come here. And some of those reasons we know about, some of those reasons we don't because we're just not exposed to those. Totally. You know, we have traveling nurses. We have, you know, there's a lot of fires up in this area. We have fire, fire workers coming up, forest service workers, um, displaced people from other parts of uh, natural disasters and need somewhere to live, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you think sometimes like when fire season comes, it's like everything shuts down. Well, actually, you know, last year there was fires you know, both to the east and the west of us and nothing in Reading. And all those people from the east and the west came to Reading. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the people who were coming for vacation didn't want to come. And so they came and booked all of my units. And I was still full all summer. Mm -hmm. So there's there's always a need. There's always things to do. And and we'll touch a little bit more in, in, in what type of property you want to look for to try to cater to some of these different needs that people might have. So this the first topic we're going to talk about is local versus remote. Oh, I love and, this and, and this idea of local um, and remote is really defined by you, each person that's investing, uh, because some people local is within this the city the city core, right? The the one square mile of downtown, wherever the hot bars or the hot restaurants are, like that's that's local. Some of it's within the county that you live in. Um, you know, talking with you is, you know, you and you and Holly have said, you know what, we want we want to be hands on in our investments. We want to be able to manage it ourselves because of the returns that we we know we can get from that. Uh, and you kind of said, uh, you know, an hour circumference within yeah. where you personally live, because if any shit goes down, you you feel like the best person to be there on demand is yourself, right? And so you have you have vacation you know rentals north of us in Mount Shasta within an hour away. But this idea, talk to me about, you know, what you consider local and how and kind of the drive time circumference and how you think about what local is versus remote. Yeah. And, and, and this is also a question about what type of involvement do you see yourself having in this process? Um, we are very hands-on yep. uh, from the purchase to the design, to the remodel. Listening. We are, we are self you know, managing the construction component, owner builder. Um, we are also just, you know, putting the listing together, um, doing the furnishings. Uh, as we, as we discussed in the first episode, we are also the short-term rental property managers. We're now doing a hybrid approach to that. So we have a very hands-on approach. We believe in that because we think it's totally doable. Yeah. And we think it's, it's not, it's not, it's not rocket science. It's something you can set up once and you can set up and, and put on, on some kind of autopilot mm-hmm. that's, that's that's semi-passive. It's never going to be fully passive. Yeah. But semi-passive and still get maximized your returns, but still be able to address issues when they come up. Yeah. And so we, we've, you know, and we've looked beyond that. We shopped super hard in Lake Tahoe, which is four hours from where we are. We've shopped in some other markets, you know, up north of us in Oregon, which is even a little farther than that. We've just never quite been able to pull the trigger on those, on those deals. Um, and part of it is just, we've seen with our own properties here in our own backyard in Reading, and then with our properties one hour away, you know, that, that was a lot more work. I mean, I've been driving up to Mount Shasta 
you know, they're, you know, for multiple days a week and sometimes every day every, of yep. the week at uh-huh. the beginning of these projects for yep. the last couple of years. Yeah. As we've been remodeling, because these were all forced appreciation properties. They weren't turnkey. They all needed a lot of work. And, and that's part of the game. So, so part of that too is like, what's the difference between a remote property? And we're going to talk about the difference between vacation rental versus flex. Yeah. But I mean, there's a lot of great, what quote unquote vacation rentals that aren't local. They live, they, they are a destination, but they're a destination unto whatever they, you know, ski resort, beach, etc. Mm-hmm. But they're not local usually, unless you happen to live in Maui or Tahoe or somewhere that everyone wants to be. Um, I think, I feel like that's different. Like to the degree that you have vision for a place and you can get into it and you can create. So, you know, you, you could go create something in four hours away, but you actually have to turn it into a performing property. And there's a lot that has to be thought through. Like if you, if it's not on a ski lift or it might be a great property, but if you want to turn it into a, you know, we have friends that, you know, they put a, they put a venue in, on a lavender farm in, in Mount Shasta and they're, they want to turn it into a wedding venue. That's a completely different business model than a short-term rental operator, though they could actually do short-term rental operating on that property. But they had a vision for the property itself, and it changed the way they thought about remote management. So short-term rental operating versus kind of remote management are two different things. Kind of the the demographic that we're creating this content for really is people who are looking to get into the game. They're saving for it. They're saying, where do I start? Um, looking to buy in the next 12 months. How, how am I thinking through where to invest? Um, but it's always going, in our personal opinion, it's going to be easier to ensure the money that I'm investing if I can have my fingerprints on it. And that often necessitates my ability to get access to or to stay accessible to that property, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and we're, not, we're not trying to discourage you. If you, you know, want to do long-term or remote, long-distance mm-hmm. investing, you know, from a short-term rental standpoint, go for it. Yeah. Awesome. There's people making money doing that. I may do it at some point. Yeah. I just haven't done it to this point. I've definitely been intrigued by properties, you know, in Maui. I keep mentioning it. Yeah. Um, but but it is a totally different game. You are managing remotely. Mm-hmm. And if you do that, like, you better have a stellar team yeah. around you that you really trust and you better really know your shit. And we'll get, we'll get into, the, not a lot, but this idea of building that team out. We'll touch on it in this episode. But let's let's actually start with. But even but even before that, man, yeah. I just want to harp on that. Yeah, like, yeah. like you better know your shit. Mm-hmm. Like like I can't stress that enough. If this is your first deal, and you're going to invest remote, I wouldn't. One, I wouldn't recommend you invest remotely. But if you're going to, you better spend some significant time on the ground in that location. This is not a sight unseen purchase. You better be there, building relationships, making sure there's people you trust. Because I can't tell you how much work we have to put in yeah. on the personal aspect side of things, and we live in these locations. If you're if you're going to get into the game, I mean, there's for the last ten years, our, you know, us personally and us and our friends are taking reconnaissance trips, partially because it's in our nature to adventure and go and find prospect, basically become prospectors. But taking sit, you know, I, I've taken recon trips to Waco, Texas, to Austin, to Denver to Utah uh, to Kansas City. We have a friend that bought you know nine rental properties in the downtown core in Kansas City, and crazy shit happened all the time. It was rough. It was rough. They were literally burning down. One of their houses burned down, and he had to manage it remotely. So it's a different problem to solve. That's all, right? 
So it's a different problem to solve. So, you know, buyer, it's not just buyer beware, but you have to be signing up for the whole process, not just the sexy, you know, income that comes every month once it's up and running in turnkey. So this idea of, you know, starting where, where, you know, you build out your portfolio, where, where I'm building out my portfolio is in the city that I live in. And so this idea of, of buying local, so the three things we're going to, we're going to touch on or, or generally as we work through this is, you know, how to find a property, what we think through or how we think about acquiring a property, uh, knowing the city or what is their competitive or unfair advantage um, is the, the knowledge that you have or, or your, your vision or the lens you're looking through before you go ahead and pull the trigger on it. And so starting with, you know, how, how do you think, because you bought multiple houses in our area, I bought multiple houses in our area, you know, how have you gone about or thinking through this idea of, all right, I have some money. I know that I'm going to pull the trigger and I've already decided that real estate is going to be the avenue that I choose to do this. How have you, you and Holly kind of started your, you know, your either value alignment or value, value um, what's important to you when it comes to looking at this as a short-term rental. And, and, and that in and of itself is you're really going to have the money to buy it and renovate it without moving into it. But oftentimes, you know, my personal experience is I, I personally bought an online, a blind online auction house. It was a reverse mortgage. Um, I didn't know how blind online auctions worked. And I, I just bet above what they were asking for. And in 30 minutes, I had the house. And then I had to turn around and go tell my wife that I bought a house and we should go check it out. Now, before that, <laughs> I drove... I saw, I saw the address. I immediately got in my car and I went and scouted it out. I hopped the fence. I walked around the backyard. I, I you know, it was a shithole, but I saw where it was located and I saw that it had a huge pool. I didn't know if it worked or not. And I said, this area will play. This area was desirable in our city. And I know it's, it's five minutes from the convention center. It's five minutes from the freeway. I know this will be a great rental property regardless. And so I, I didn't, I didn't know the process. So I just made a bid on it and I got it. But how, how do you go about this idea of finding an investment property, especially well, you know, right now the market's cooling off, but we're just going to say it's a super competitive market, right? So what, what are the factors that you kind of think through or look for as you kind of wander around and think about now, you know, investing in a short-term rental property? Yeah. And, and this is, you know, as, as Dennis just mentioned, like, we're talking about short-term rentals. Mm -hmm. We are not talking about a home for you. We're not talking about a flip. And, and we're not even talking about the resale side of it because you're, we buy short-term rentals to hold them. Yep. This is about cash flow. We're okay. looking for cash flow. Yeah. I buy, I only buy short-term rentals that need remodeling <clears throat> because I want to get forced appreciation on it. And I do consider that and think about how do I get appreciation on this property? But my primary focus is cash flow. And so when I'm going around, um, I, I, first of all, I just want to talk about the mode of going around. Yeah. I think it's so important to like get into your neighborhoods, mm -hmm. like walk your streets, ride your bike. Yep. Uh, me and my wife moved to DC a few years back <clears throat> and we're back now and ready. But when we moved there, uh, we were paying, you know, an arm and a leg for, you know, an apartment the first year. And I was like, I'm not doing this. We're yeah. going to stay here a couple more years. And so I just started, uh, cycling was my main form of workout. I just started riding through all the different boroughs. 
Um, I would, we would walk them like every weekend. We just get our kids in the stroller and just walk the streets. Yeah. Uh, we get to know the neighborhood. Yeah. Um, I do that here in Reading. Whenever I have a few spare minutes, Reading's a smaller town. I just drive the neighborhoods and yeah. the streets yeah. and look for properties of the type of home I'm specifically looking for. So, so that's an interesting concept too. And, and it actually speaks to um, most people have a pattern of the way that they live. And they take the same route to work. Mm. They, take, they go to the same coffee shops. They go to the same grocery stores. Yeah. And they think about it as the path of least resistance. What's most convenient for me? Mm-hmm. It kind of, kind of becoming a more open-minded person. I, I kind of implemented, you know, 10, 15 years ago, like, hey, I'm going to try to take a different way home from work every day. Not because I was looking for property, just because I was kind of a game that I played with myself that I got to see different streets that I'd never been down. And if you live in a, in a town for two, five, eight plus years or so, and you take the same path home, you're only experiencing or exposing yourself to the same streets that you know of. There's opportunity potentially one street over from where you're at now or one street over from where you drive home that you'll never know unless you just have this kind of more loose, open-handed approach to the way your, your kind of normal, everyday, day-to-day life works. And in doing so, I mean, I found my current, my current property that I'm in now because my at the time I was driving a Prius and the battery died and I needed to charge it up. And so I just would drive around our town and I'd drive down random streets and I went down the street that I now live off of and I saw this really cool house that was for sale and I hadn't seen it before on the market. So I popped out and jumped the fence and went in the backyard and cased the place. Love it. And it was awesome all because my Prius battery died. I don't have that Prius, you know rest in peace, that Prius. But the point is like take an interest in the area that you have. Yes. From an overall life perspective, but as a competitive advantage to finding the, the, the nooks and the crannies of your area for potential upside, you want the worst house in the best neighborhood possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and just a little uh, story to, to, to further uh, shed some light on this. I was looking at one point for a remodel project and I wanted this to be a burr, you know, which is uh, essentially a way to buy, um, remodel, rent, refinance, get your money out. Mm -hmm. So you're trying to get all your money out of the property. And this property at the end of it is delivered two times my money. Mm -hmm. So I, this was, there's this, there's this neighborhood on the uh, West side of downtown. It's called Magnolia. And it's all these tree streets. It's kind of these older homes. It sort of was coming up and coming. And I would just like, I would just like haunt this neighborhood. Yeah. I was driving it. I yeah. was looking at it. Every house that popped up, I was looking at it. Yeah. And this house came on the market and it was, it, it was, it was listed for like, you know, like, I don't know, 180 at yeah. the time or something like that. Mm-hmm. This was a few years ago. And I drove by the house and I, the first time I drove by it, I was like, oh, hell no. Yeah. I just looked at it from the street and I was like, Mm -hmm. hell no. I didn't even get out. Yeah. I just kept driving. Yeah. And then I, and then I, and then a few weeks later I drove by it again. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go look at it. Mm -hmm. So no one was in there. Totally vacant. Yeah. Been vacant. I I pulled off, you know, it was like down by this, by this Creek, which I didn't know at the time. Yeah. I walked down there. I was like, Oh, there's a little seasonal creek down here. Yep. There's all these trees down here. Yep. Like this house actually, although it sits down and all the other houses are up on the top of the street, yep. 
this one, I looked so weird from the street mm-hmm. sitting down here. Yeah. But when you're actually down here and I looked up in the windows, I was like, it kind of feels like you're in the trees. Totally. It kind of feels like a tree house. Yeah, yeah. I was like, mm-hmm. and I kind of looked at it and I was like, somebody started remodeling this thing and didn't finish. Yep. They ran out of money. Mm-hmm. Something happened and they didn't finish. And now they're trying to sell this thing. And so I made an offer and they didn't accept it. But then I stuck on it and I yep. kept making offers. Yep. And eventually I got the deal. Yeah. And this house has been like the best deal I've ever had. Yeah. By far. It's helped me buy multiple houses yep. because of the way I was able to refinance it. Yeah. But I just, I, I got to know this neighborhood. It was by far the worst house in the neighborhood. Yeah. yeah. But if you know what you're looking for and from a short term rental standpoint to tie it back into that, Hey, this house isn't for you. Yeah. This house isn't about, this isn't about finding the house in the best neighborhood with the, the most parks posh, and schools, yeah, the, and posh yeah, yeah, sure. the best school district, yeah. because guess what? Your short-term rental districts don't renters do not care about what school district they're in. No, they do not know what the best neighborhood in your town is. They won't know when they look on Airbnb and see the map, they're not going to know one neighborhood for the other. Nope. So why would you pay twice yeah. the amount to be in the nice neighborhood yep. when you could be in the crappy neighborhood or, Average neighborhood. I would recommend average neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and and find something where you can pay half as much and get a twice a twice the return on what you would have got. So you said it's not for you, and I think it's important because people kind of we're, we're taught as we get you know into adult earning age that curb appeal matters, right? Oh mm. oh oh, it's on the listing. It, it looks great in pictures. I always look for the ones that look really shitty in pictures. Because I know that the average person wants a turnkey, move-in ready, in the best area. Like most people that are looking to buy and have a cash flow, they're setting their their uh, their filters with their agents with with a specific thing in mind. They're looking for a feeling because one hundred percent about them and their family and the type of life that they want to live. At the end of the day, we want we we don't care about curb appeal. We care about how much money it makes us. Yeah. Right? And, that's, and that's a really good point. It, and it's not that we're saying just buy a crappy property. Hmm. But what we're saying is is like find a way to get the competitive advantage. Yeah. If you see something that you're like, you know what? I can make this thing rip. Yep. Like I can make this thing amazing. You hmm. got to have vision for it. Yeah. It can, it, you know, you got to have a vision for it about, you know, how you can paint it how you can update it, how you can furnish it. Vision equals value, man. You know, it really does. You know, think of what you're listing in mind. When I saw this property, oh, I'm like this house, you know, tree house, yeah, yeah. short-term rental, mm-hmm. oasis, seasonal yeah. creek. Yeah. I'm like, oh, vibey. Totally. String lights, patio yeah. lights. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I'm going to make this thing pop, yeah. you know? And, and so you got to think of that in a way of, of how you can do that. And maybe it's, I mean, there's certain things you should be looking for, you know? How close is it to your downtown? Yeah. Is your area walkable? Are there trails you can market? Like on, on that note too, knowing the initiatives of your city, our city has an initiative to become more of a bike friendly city. And you actually, what did you do? You said, all right, where does the, cause it was before the bike path was punched through, but mm-hmm. you, we have, we have friends that are on councils and, and it's not because we like are cheating in any way. Like our, our, we're it's just public information. Yeah, we're, we're, we're friends with our city, our city councilmen. We're friends with our friends who happen to be also involved in real estate investors, but you knew there was an initiative happening and you said, all right, where's this bike path going to go through? And you, you specifically looked in an area in downtown or outside on the ancillary part of downtown core. 
that was in line with the bike path that the city was pushing in initiatives. You, you knew yeah. regardless that this route of houses was going to appreciate value regardless if anyone touched it or not. Right. Yeah. And so I ended up buying a house before the bike path went in yep. and, and, and part of what we did, which, you know, these are things you got to think about. Like if there's going to be a massive construction project, yep. we remodeled that house yep. and then they started the remodeling of the street. Oh, it was great. It was a, so, a shitty street, potholes everywhere. It was a dirt bag of a street. Yeah. But so instead of renting it out and having my short term guests, I switched houses. Yep. I switched houses and me and my family moved into that house. Yeah. And we lived there and we watched it and it was super fun. Yeah. Actually getting to know the guys and seeing the tractors go and yep. down the street and seeing the whole process. So you were inconvenienced and you're willing to take on the burden of being inconvenienced because you knew long term, very shortly, it would be a high performing asset for you. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. So it, it's interesting becoming becoming a uh, an interested prospector in your area. Uh, you know, a lot of people listening still have W two jobs. This isn't their full time gig. You know, I, I would recommend, or we would recommend, hey, you still have a lunch hour. Take your lunch hour and go go wander around and see who, how many elderly people or senior citizens are at home. Because guess what happens with senior citizens? They die eventually. <laughs> they die. They do right. So look for moving trucks, look for projects, look for painting trucks. I, that's what I look for because I'm like, all right, what kind of vibe does this does this neighborhood have? And if it's an older neighborhood and the houses look run down, there's eventually going to be a turnover. And so I'm just projecting out. It might be 12 months. It might be 18 months. It might be two years. But I'm always kind of filtering the, uh, the opportunity based off of location, uh, uh, ability to force appreciation, and kind of this idea of location. For So for me, location one, price point, you know, numbers is, is, is 1B. And this ability to force appreciation in my own way. So do I have do I have the design authority to make it the house that I believe is going to be the most valuable given the space that it has given? So this idea of the space that it has. So the same the same house we're talking about on the bike path. Um, you know, you you saw something in it. Not only that was it going to be on a path of progress that our city had a, a vision for and value for. It had it had an initiative to be more bike friendly. But you also also saw that it had a detached garage. It was a small house, a two-bedroom house, but you saw that it had a detached garage. Yeah, and so this this goes into uh, a little bit of a different no, side, the, yeah. this next topic, sidebar, which is which is what types of property are you looking for specifically? And, and this is about knowing this, knowing your city, knowing your area, knowing your county, um, and and this is why I say like. Hey, you can do you can do short term rentals just about anywhere. Here in Reading, we have people that come for all kinds of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, we have fire workers, we have forest service workers, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you got to know like what type of person you know. And and this is where we talk about the difference between a vacation rental, yeah, and a and a flex property, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, a vacation rental is something that is in a vacation specific market. You know, think Lake Tahoe. Think Big Bear, think Mammoth in California, think Maui, think yeah. Florida on the beach, mm-hmm. you know, etc. Um, and and so these are places where they're seasonal, highly seasonal. Even Mount Shasta, where I have a number of properties, is largely a vacation rental market. Yep. There's only 3,000 people that actually live there in the city and another 3,000 in the county surrounding it. There's not a lot of people. It's a place to destination. There's There's rivers, there's lakes, there's mountains. And not a huge population. And so most and then a lot of the homes there are vacation homes. 
And so this is very seasonal, you know, based on, on what type of market it is, whether it's beach market, mountain market, ski market, etc. Um, but it's dependent on that versus flex locations, yeah. which are, you know, cities, mm-hmm. more, uh, more urban areas. Um, we live in kind of a rural city, but it's still a city. Yeah. There's still a hundred thousand people here. Yeah. And so there's still a lot of reasons for people to come here. Mm-hmm. And so there's people like people coming for all kinds of reasons. And so, these are some of the things you really want to consider as you're thinking about what type of property do I want? Do I want a studio apartment? Yeah. Well, if you're trying to cater to single individuals who are just traveling business professionals, yeah. maybe they're wanderers, maybe they're people living on Airbnb now. Sure. If you're looking for a small family place, you're going to need at least a one bedroom with maybe a pullout couch, a yeah. minimum two mm-hmm. bedroom ideal. Yeah. But if it's more a vacation place, you're going to want three, four plus. Totally. Bedrooms, but if you have a four bedroom place and you're in like a locale where there's not a ton of vacationers, yeah. it's probably not a good buy. Not a good buy. Yeah. Because the single guy would rather buy some like killer updated studio Close than buy city. your, yeah. you know, rent in your four bedroom. Or urban, you know, if you're looking for a single guy or a business traveler, if you know your proximity to the airport, know your, your proximity to city transit. Or knowing like what your city is known for. Where are the hot areas? Do you have clubs? Do you have bars? Um, are, are you in a festival city? I mean, there's a lot of things that make your place or town unique or there's not that you know about. Part of that is ignorance. You might just not know what makes your city unique. And that's on you to go find out or to create something unique about your city. But also, too, knowing your customer Understanding why people come in because, you know, your hotels in your city get get people to come stay there. People are coming in for a reason. Understanding what that reason is is up to you. It's not up to them. They're, they're going to come spend money regardless. Or you don't feel like there's anything uniquely special about your area. But, hey, let's actually let's like zoom out an hour in any direction. Is there is there a vacation mm-hmm. rental spot? Is, is there a destination that people come to? So my my uh, my brother and sister in law, I think two or three of them, they have a, a trip planned to the river or Lake Almanor in Southern California, and there's going to be ten of them, right? So six kids and four adults, whatever it is, and it's on a river. It's some super remote place, but it has has it our Lake Almanor up here? No, I think it's down south. Maybe I'm saying the wrong one, but it's in Southern California. Okay. But there's a, there's a river and a lake. Um, our friend was looking at a trip. No, our friend was looking at a trailer park uh, by there. Uh, oh, that's Elmore. Yeah, um, Lake Elmore. Yeah, uh, and and it's this house. It's a it's a five bedroom house on the river. Now it it was a. I mean, I'm I'm projecting here, but I'm sure it was a retirement home, right? And no one no one randomly twenty years ago buys a four or five bedroom house on a river in a remote location for renting out. But just so happens the way the market developed around them that they can rent it out for four or $500 a night and they could get the rental. And so it's almost like people have accidental businesses that bought retirement houses mm. that happen to become destinations. You, you and your wife traveled to a number of remote locations with your daughters and your band scoping out that are pre pre destination towns and cities, right? Yeah. And it wouldn't take a lot. I will not be sharing any of so, Yeah. Yeah. You will not, but it wouldn't take a lot to, to, to understand how is the city, you know, so how, how is Lake, how is Big Bear Lake developing? What is the city of Big Bear going to do to expand 
their tourist population. Well, they might be building up part of the lake and filling it up or building a dam and expanding that. And if you had that information beforehand, you could make some buys on land or property or, or whatever it is beforehand and have a competitive advantage. Part of it is, is, is just knowing the city or area or county that you're in. Yes, understanding the bylaws, and the zoning and the legal part of it, but supply and demand is still in play. The city wants money and if there's enough demand, they're going to change the laws and the zoning to get it. And so knowing your city and area and, and then having a beat on what your goals are and what you're willing to sacrifice as far as time in and money out to go get it is important in the short-term rental operating game. Yeah. And I just want to wrap that up by saying, I think it's super fun. Yeah. Like when you're in a local market, mm-hmm. like, you know, you know, for those of you who are like real estate junkies, I don't think you have to be a real estate junkie. I've got friends who are real estate junkies. They're into it. I'm not a real estate junkie. I only look at real estate when I'm actually in the buying market. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it's kind of a fun process. It it's is. super fun. Like, yeah. there's, you know, if you really dig into it and walk your neighborhoods and get to know them, you get to know your city on a whole deeper level than yeah. you ever did um, and appreciate it on a much deeper level. We're so good. Um, and, and so I, I say just jump into the process and it's super fun. And, and, and you and this is when we say the competitive advantage. Like this is the competitive advantage you have, even if you haven't been in real estate before, because the corporations and the funds, they're buying real estate in mass yeah, right now. For sure. And and they're going to continue. And, and they are buying in the hottest markets. And so, you know, you can be, you can go buy remotely and be a small fish in a big pond, mm-hmm. or you can buy in your own market and be a big fish in a small pond. Yep. And if you put in some work and some effort and, and really dig in and understand short-term rentals and understand your specific real estate market, like you can be one of the experts in short-term rentals in your market. I truly believe it. So what's the worst case scenario, Christian? You buy a property and, uh, you know, economy goes down. No, one, no one's doing short-term rentals. You know, what, what, what is your game plan? If everything goes to shit, you still have these assets you know, what's the worst case? Yeah, you're in no worse position than the long-term real estate investor. And all you do is turn short-term rentals into long-term you rentals. You can do long-term rental or I would rather do 30-day rentals. 30-day rentals. Okay. All right. So, I mean, there's no – I mean, the, the play here isn't get, get rich quick. We're not looking to, to turn properties in 30, 60, 90, 120 days. No. This is not the game we're playing. The game is long-term passive income, replacing your day job and or – a continuous momentum of of funds to go and reinvest. Yeah, keep your day job if you want to. Yeah, make more money, get up your cash flow, keep yeah. reinvesting it, keep the flywheel turning. So, so the the downside is really access to capital and how much momentum you have, and how much time and effort you know you want to spend, and how big of a a management burden or a management problem you want to solve, right? So, but the, we're talking about the, the competitive advantage to local is this idea of the, there's technically decreased competition. The more intelligence you have around your local neighborhood you live in, the region of the town you live in, the town itself and the county, the more you can actually start making plays. There's a property that I, I wrote a handwritten letter to just you know two weeks ago. It was on the market for six days and it went off the market. Uh, the intelligence I had is it went off the market because they had health concerns. I wrote a letter to them and because it was a 600 square foot house 
on the, it was listed for $125,000. Now to people who are listening, I'm sure $125,000 doesn't sound like a lot. And to, to Christian and I, that's also not a lot of money, but it was only 600 square feet, but it was this A-frame. And I said, Hey, within 60 days, I know I could put a deck around that and, and do the updates needed to turn it in force appreciation to make it a short term rental property. And it was accessible enough. or was a lower barrier of entry enough that I can go and pay cash for it, right? And so it, depending on where you're at cash flow wise or access to capital changes this conversation, whether you're saving up for it, whether you have cash on hand, you're waiting for the market. A lot of people I feel like are holding their cash or getting into a cash position and they're waiting for the markets to dip, especially right now. So we're in July, you know, potential recessions gonna, you know, is, is being talked about on a number of different levels. And the housing market is one of those that it, it, that is kind of in the crosshairs of potentially faltering. And a lot of the overbought markets, I've heard Austin, a lot of the, the, the short term or the for sale by owners are going up by 300%. Yeah. So they're already, they were already overbought for a long time. Six months ago was kind of at the top. And so people are holding their breath and waiting for the market to dip 15, 20% or so. But this idea of decreasing your competition or increasing your market intelligence, um, Paired with this idea of who who is your who's going to be your customer, who, what you know the the barrier of entry and what you can rent it for is always kind of what we're holding in tension in the short term rental operating game. But location matters, uh, a barrier of entry or 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 acquisition cost matters. Um, so there's there's dynamics there, but we want to be able to get access to properties or access to opportunity um, that puts you ahead of the market, and so. Now we're going to talk about you know this idea of, of a competitive advantage of, of local is the ideal customer profile of your renter. What type of renter do you want to protect your investment? And part of that is part of the property you buy. So you went you went down to you know vacation rental versus flex prop. You you actually outlined the type of renter and the type of renter matters to the the nightly rentals that you could get at each of those properties. Correct. Mm-hmm. And so the seasonality of the property itself goes into, is, is this a, a vacation rental or is this a flex property? But this idea of the uniqueness of the product itself, you know, there's a saying that there's mystery in the margin. What people don't understand, they're willing to pay for. And the same in real estate, this idea of the equation of you can, you can whatever property you acquire, Christian, I've seen you have a, a specific design aesthetic that you've applied on every one of your properties and it plays. It doesn't, you know, You've, you've created, you have spreadsheets, you have inventory lists. All you're doing is applying based off the size of the, the property you buy. But I, I kind of look for, um, you know, when I look, think of investment properties, people kind of set up their filters to a bed, bath, and price. And those are the three kind of data points that they use to get, you know, a listing sent to them. When I look at it, I actually look at, Large, you know, large two ones, large three twos, or overpriced for you know multi bedroom above three bedrooms, and I do that because most people want a turnkey house in the area that they want that's move in ready. But you're going to get the lowest amount of return if we acquire that property, and so I look for rundown, horrible pictures. And if I see, because most, most two bedrooms are, you know, up to 1,100, 1,200 square feet. Most three bedrooms are 12 to 1,500 square feet. And so if I see a, if I see a 1,700 two bedroom, it's interesting to me. If I see a, if I yeah. see a 2,100 square foot, so my current property was a 2,300 square foot three, two. 
And I said, what is the rest of that space doing? What is it doing? It has to be doing something. And so it's intriguing me just based off the filters that I do. The last thing that I consider when I look at a potential investment is most people are setting their filters up to their price range that they can, they think they can afford. That in and of itself is a, is a self-imposed barrier of entry because I know that I can't, either can't get financing above this number or I don't feel comfortable supporting a mortgage above this number. But not every more, not every uh, every asset or property that's you know say the average price is going for five hundred thousand. Not every not every house in the five hundred thousand dollar range is updated or even in a great in a great condition that's worth five hundred thousand. So I'm looking at the seven hundred thousand dollars or a, a, a price point range above the average investor that's that is not updated and therefore has a I know it's going to drop in price because everyone thinks their property is worth more than it actually is worth because a lot of times if you're selling it you're emotionally invested in the sale right more often than not if you haven't updated your property it's not worth what you think it is and so therefore there's they're usually unless the market is crazy and the market's been crazy for what the last four years or so right it's two been, years two sure. years two years it's been nuts right but when the market goes down, you oftentimes either have a stall, a stalling effect or a cooling effect to the market itself, and you can get more house for your money as the market cools off. And so what I did is I looked at, you know, at the time the average house was, you know, 220 to 260. Most most houses were going that in our current town. So what I did is, well, I know that I'm going to compete with a ton of people, hundreds and hundreds of people in the same filters that are getting the same alerts if it's on the market. Now, if it's off market, it's a different conversation. That goes back to knowing your neighborhoods and your counties and you doing your own market intel. That's a different conversation. Once it hits the market, people are getting fed the information from usually the same MLS filters. So what I did is is I looked for three and three hundred dollars between three and four hundred thousand dollar houses that had were were older and not updated, knowing that they were going to drop. So I was going to get access because the people that were spending 350 to 500 in our area, they were going to expect already updated, turnkey, moving, ready. So I was looking for the bigger houses with more opportunity for my perform for short-term rental, had more rooms that I could turn a two-bedroom into a three-bedroom or a three-bedroom into a four-bedroom. Because as a short-term rental operator, I can increase my nightly if I have more rooms. Or yeah. what you did was you turned garages into doors. And so I, I, what I was looking at increased square footage as a potential opportunity to drive or leverage my nightly rental up. What you did multiple times was look for detached garages and turn one doors into two. Both are this idea of as a short-term rental operator, how do I maximize my nightly rentals? Yeah, yeah, no, that's awesome. A great way to look at it of, of, from a short-term rental standpoint, looking at a property and say, how can I add people to this property or add a separate unit to this property. And that could be adding a second bath or turning a half bath into a full bath or turning a extra square footage into another bedroom or, or things that I've done is turning garages into accessory dwelling units, mm -hmm. which is a specific California law. Um, and so you have two separate units. And even within that, you want to say, uh, you know, I had one property that the garage conversion shared a wall with the main house and the garage conversion didn't have its own backyard. So the next time I looked for a detached garage and a, and a property that was set up where I could, I could just split the, split the property in half and create two garages. It's still one property, but to the tenants, 
and the guests in either one of those units, they don't know yeah. that it's on the same property. They think yeah. they're staying on their completely owned property, mm-hmm. separate entrance, separate unit, separate backyard, everything. Yeah. Um, and so those are things that you can look for. And, and sometimes you just don't even know until you walk around, yep. you know, do some dentist, jump some backyards, like That's get right. in there, get dirty, like look at stuff, yep. you know, go look at listings, like take your real estate agent. You know, if you're into the ADU game, like, like the, it's, it's funny, like when I was looking at properties, the first thing I walk into the house, I'm like, where's the garage? Yeah. I go straight to the garage. That's right. I don't even look at the house. How big is the I'm garage? Like, yeah. What's the garage? Is this like in California, we have earthquakes. Yep. It has to be seismically um, engineered. You know, I'm looking at how well this garage is built. How old is it? Yeah. You know, what, you know, does it have power? Does it have water? You know, what do I have to do to get those to this, to this unit if I'm going to? Well, you, you've turned a three, a three car garage into two car garage or an ADU, right? Oh yeah. I'm one property. Yeah. One property up. So it, I mean, it, there's plenty of opportunity and you're kind of only bound by, you know, time, money, and your creativity, right? This idea of like, what is it going to take to turn my vision, um, into reality? And then how much is my vision worth? And so we, we touched on kind of local, but we didn't touch really on remote. So I want to tie a little bit of, of a bow on, on remote and, you know, I don't know if we, we throw shade on, on remote, but if you, Christian did mention it a little bit, if you are going to be remote, this idea of building a team, um, you know, an agent, a lender, a building contract slash assessor, obviously if you have friends and family, that's helpful, uh, but property management cleaner. So you need to have some sort of unfair advantage, but you kind of need to do your due diligence regardless of whether it's local or remote. But even if it is remote, we would say it's higher risk just because it's not as accessible. That being said, it's all about how you build out your infrastructure. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and there's people who do remote and are really successful at it. Um, I, I think the people that are really successful at it, you know, have it, have experience doing it, know what they're looking for, know what they need to know, um, know the questions to ask, you know, know how to manage things already from their own experience in real estate. Um, you know, I, I do hear horror stories often, you know, about people who are just starting out and doing massive remote projects and end up underwater or end up getting taken advantage of. Um, and those are just terrible to see because it doesn't have to be that way. And so, yeah, I would just say if you're going to do remote, like plan on spending some significant time on the ground. So, locally. so that, that's, a, that's a, a good point. If, you know, if, if we're focusing this podcast or content on people that aren't in the game and they're trying to go from zero to one, um, yeah, do your homework. Do uh, your own backyard. Do, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, tend tend your own garden. Whatever, whatever analogy you want to use. But oftentimes, you we usually our eyes are bigger than our stomachs. This idea of how much how much disposable cash do I have, and then how inconvenient, which we mentioned on the first podcast, how inconvenient am I willing to be? I, I've moved my wife and family three times into fixer-uppers to turn around and leverage those properties. I know I cannot move my wife any; she won't move anymore. She won't move anymore. So it's like I've used up that that you know whatever whatever that is. And so knowing how how inconvenient moving capital, yeah, the moving capital, right? And so are you willing to move into a fixer-upper, manage the build, and live in chaos for you know, 30, 60, 90, 120 days? Not everyone mentally, emotionally can handle that. Not everyone working, you know, working from home or on Zoom calls can handle 
jackhammers and cement workers and contractors come in and out. So knowing where you're at in life and your specific life circumstances matters if you're going to enter this game. Um, yeah. So that's, that's remote. I think we're, I think we're good on remote, right? Yeah. So, uh, I think the, the last, I mean, one of the last things we have is, you know, you know, thinking long term and that this investment is not personal. The money that you make, I think it has to do with the tax potential to the money because of how hard it took to get the capital. But access to capital is a whole other discussion. But thinking t- long term about this investment, how much does it matter about how much you like it, Christian, versus what it can do for you long term? Yeah, we, we touched on this on the first episode a bit as well. Like these are assets, yep. right? Like like finding a way to detach yourself from them and share. Like as a short term rental operator, I think it'd be I think it's great to have a style and have a flair and kind of a way you do things. Like when people look at our properties, we have fifteen listings. There is some commonality between all of them. Yeah, they're different properties. They do like different. They have different flavors. Um, and we've done it at different points, but you can kind of look at one and be like, Hey, I think, I think Christian Ollie Taylor did this one, you know? Yeah. So there's, there's kind of a vibe to it. And so I think that's great. And there's people that have way better style than us out there that are, are doing that, you know, on a whole nother level of scale. And that's awesome to see. However, these aren't for you. Yeah. Like when we, when we look at these, like these aren't for us, like, like, sure, we have lived in most of our properties, yep. actually, but we didn't buy them for us to live in. Mm-hmm. We only did that to continue to hustle and hack our way through it. Well, you did it also to access the capital, too, right? Yeah, I mean, oftentimes you needed yeah. to, in order to, do, to get certain financing, you have yep. to get um, you know personal residence loans, yep. primary loans. Mm-hmm. And so you have to be willing to live in them for a certain amount of time, which is what, what we did often. Yeah, and, and that goes into a, a financing conversation, which, you know, every jurisdiction is a little bit different. Every lender you work with is a little different. What products that they sell. Um, you know, I've, I've we'll done... We'll do an episode on that. Yeah, sure. we'll, yeah, we'll do an episode on that. But this idea of turn... You bought... I say your first house was, I would say, turnkey, moving ready, right? It was... It was... Uh, in need of update, but livable. So, I mean, force, yeah, but livable, but livable. But this yeah. idea of, of force appreciation, you know, when people talk about quote unquote fixer uppers, they're usually talking about shit boxes that need that actually need a, a, a conserved amount of attention to yeah, actually there's, there's, change there's, it, right? There's cosmetic fixer uppers, which is like, hey, this house is outdated. Yeah. You know, you might need to do some new floors, some yeah. new paint. You might even need to update the bathroom, some new tile, vanities, etc., which could be a massive project. Totally. In and of itself, yeah. outdated. But you could literally buy it and, and move it. in yeah. and live in it. Yeah. You might just have pink carpet. You might have shag carpet. You might have wallpaper, multiple layers of wallpaper. <laughs> if my wife's listening, multiple layer, layers of wallpaper. But you're not talking about taking out walls, adding walls. You're not talking about foundational issues. Yeah. You're not talking about HVAC and roofs. There's a couple of things that are big ticket items. Yeah, and, and some properties, if it has that many issues with it, it literally cannot pass an inspection Correct. and an appraisal yeah. and get financing on it. Yep. So in order for a home to pass an appraisal, it has to be livable. Yeah. And so if it's, if it's to the extent yep. where there's plumbing issues... You know, those kind of things, like electrical issues, you can't get financing on it until you get that. So that kind of fixer-upper is a full-blown, you have to buy that in cash, 
fix it up, and then refine it. Which, in and of itself, some people look at as uh, a pass, a hard pass, and some people look at totally. it as a as a, a, an immediate opportunity. Which is which is this is kind of a really good point. Is you have to understand yourself. Yes, totally. Um, and, and 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 so as a buyer, um, you need to know what are my capabilities. Mm-hmm. What does my time look like? Yep. Do I have a full time job that I can't spend time doing this? I can only do this kind of on the side. Mm-hmm. Or do you have the ability to jump into this and kind of be a manager? So there's kind of three different types of properties in general. Yeah. Um, three different ways you can go about it. We just discussed there's different types of fixer uppers. Yeah. You know, there's kind of cosmetic ones or for blown ones, and that gets more into financing and how yeah. you can finance it. But if it's a turnkey property, fully dialed the way you want it, right? Yep. So you can buy something turnkey. There's not going to be any forced appreciation on it. Meaning, there's not there's not much you can do to it to increase the value of the home immediately. So a, a different way of saying that is the opportunity for a long term is going to be slightly diminished because um, you know time t- you know time in money out there's there's not multiples on it. Meaning that the more people want it the higher you're going to have to get the, pro- the, the product for, and it's still going to take, uh, you know, force appreciation to do it. Meaning that, pro- you know, bear- like entry point matters, rehab costs matters, and then what it can rent for matters, right? Yeah, and, and I would say, like, you know, there's, there's often people buying turnkey properties for long-term rentals, and they might be making 200 bucks a month. Yep. But if you can make three, $4,000 a month, on that property, yeah. doing short-term rentals yeah. and net out, you know, fifteen hundred, two grand. Yeah, like you can buy a turnkey property. Yeah, and do really well with sure. short-term if it's a good short-term rental market. Yeah, um, the second type of property or way to do it is to buy a a project, one that requires remodeling, but hire a contractor. Mm-hmm. So this is, hey, I don't have the time to do this. But I'm going to hire an expert, and then maybe I don't have the skills or desire to learn it. Uh, and so I'm going to hire an expert to manage this project, hire the subs, and do the remodel project for me. Um, they are pros and cons. This there's some amazing contractors out there who do really great jobs. There's also some contractors out there who don't do very good jobs and who are just getting as many contracts as they can, and will take a very long time. To finish your project, that that's very true. Uh, I have personal experience with that. Yeah, tell us about that. Part please. part of it part of it depends on where the market is at. Meaning that if, if we are if we're in a uh, a high demand market, if we're in a building boom, which we have been for the last two to three years or so, and then we're in a state that's in a housing crisis. So, the uh, state of California, you know, there's contracts for millions of homes and plus uh, additional dwelling units or ADU legislation going in to free up literal housing units for the people that live in our state. That paired with uh, a shortage of supply, increased costs, and a building economy, not only are contractors in high demand, but tradesmen are in high demand, which you've dealt with too, of just finding people Absolutely. that are even loyal or will stick to it with you know your small project as opposed to getting on a crew and making more money. So I've been in a process for the last three years or so uh, I, I actually transitioned some of the some of my property, which was a, uh, a workshop, into conditioned zoning, and so I'd go through a city zoning permitting process. 
So it was more complex than I usually buy. That being said, I wanted to uh, recondition part of the downstairs as well as make it an ADU. So it was a layered process, which I felt more comfortable paying more. I didn't know how much more I would pay, not only in money, but also in time. And so with COVID and building shortages and, and labor and uh, in specifically like wood costs, like there's all, all of the literal raw material was in a shortage in the last two years, right? So it's taken a long time? It's taken a long time. And I will pause specifically for that. Yes, it's taken three years to to renovate the house and get an 80 unit and it's 80 unit and still not complete. I'm very hopeful, but I, I've had to take a lot of lumps on the head and take a lot of reality checks in my head and my heart about outsourcing this management to a manager. And that's really what, what outsourcing, uh, hiring a general contractor does. They are, they are managing the, the subcontractors that you could manage yourself. A Christian, you have managed yourself. When you've never done it before, I don't think it's a bad route to go, especially if you have the time and the money to outsource it. I don't think it's a bad route the first time. As the, ca- the, the caveat is outsource it once, stay involved, and learn what they're doing. Learn what the general contractors are doing. Learn how they're managing their subs. Learn what subs they leverage at what part of the process. And what you did is you actually, I don't know if you ever had a GC ever, but no, you, I, I didn't have a GC. I, I actually had a, a friend that I hired as a consultant. Okay. So he was a GC. And I hired him as a consultant. He did the drawings for one of my ADUs. And part of the deal for the consultancy was not only was he doing the drawings, but he also kind of helped advise me on how to be an owner builder. Yeah. And that's the term what it's called. Yeah. When you manage your own project as the owner of a property, you are considered an owner builder. And so you can get an owner builder permit with your municipality to manage that project. So you're a general contractor with a general contractor license. Yes. Okay, got it. And so you can hire subs directly. You can hire your electrician, your plumber, et cetera. Yeah. Um, And and so, but part of what you need to know is like who to hire. Yeah. You know, because even within the the specific trades, you still need to know who's reputable, who's good, who's going to show up, who's going to get this done for me. So you got to build out your own team within that, which that takes time. Uh I've spent a lot of time calling guys. Yeah. A lot of times finding new guys. Following up with dudes that didn't show up at my project. You're you're actually you're actually using your own personal vehicles to pick people up and ship them up to Mount Shasta. I have. I do not like doing that. I know you don't, but and that guy doesn't work for But me. that's quality <laughs> assurance. That's called quality assurance. You also Sometimes have, you gotta do what you gotta do. You also had the time yeah. to dedicate and the vehicles to do it to the self-management of the property. And that, that goes, shows to oftentimes what, you know, booking confirms starts with this idea of not only to want to be involved in the acquisition of my property, but also the rehab of my property and the management of my property. Cause this is, this is not something I'm building for today. This is something I'm building for the rest of my life. And honestly, like the more you can be in revol- involved in your remodel process, the more you're going to know the ins and outs of your property, you're going to have been making all the decisions on it for better or for worse. And because the reality is stuff is going to come up in your property and you're going to need to know how do I turn the water off to fix this plumbing leak? Yeah. Where, you know, 
what's the issue with the electrical panel here? You know, you know, one of the intricacies of my property, and unless it's a brand new build, and yeah. even then, sometimes they're shady builders, yeah. like there's going to be issues with your home. So the difference between a handyman rates and a, uh, a licensed plumber are vastly di- different as far as the cost. Absolutely. I, I, my, first, my first long-term rental, I had five female student renters. The main water line got clogged with hair. That makes total sense, right? Who did I call? I didn't call a licensed plumber. I called a handyman that had a rotor router, and he was $25 an hour. It's a different economy of scale for how you use it. That really, for me, that I always thought of how much do I trust the property that I own? Do I trust the bones of the property? Do I trust the appliance in the property? Do I trust the roof in the property? Because if I don't tear it back to the studs and rebuild it and know every part of that process, my trust level is not 100%. The idea of rebuilding or rehabbing a property, the beautiful thing about it is I'm not only emotionally invested, financially invested, but my trust level on that property is bulletproof for like 10 years, right? I Because I, I actually went through all of the steps of managing the subs and vetting it and vetting it with, you know, my contractors now kind of, I have this overlay effect of contractors that I manage that that they have vision and they keep each other accountable. They, I have my my painting contractor give me reports on my drywall guys or on my plumbing guys now, because I, they're kind of like spies and eyes and ears for me, not because I want them to, because that's I, I have a relationship with them. This goes into building a relationship and rapport with your tradesmen. And that's a whole other conversation. But this idea of not only buying a great investment property, but this idea of knowing yourself enough to how will I use this property? Am I going to live in it? Am I turning one door into two and am I moving into the garage ADU and renting out the main house? How close in proximity am I going to be to this investment? All this has to do with where you're at in your life, your time and money equation of what you're working with. And that's a great point. And so like where Dennis would maybe go more in and tear property down to the studs and yep. build it and have complete trust in it. That's, that's, personal, a, that's personal a great choice. way to go about it. Personal choice. And, and from a maintenance standpoint and a long-term capital investment, capital expenses, CapEx, like that's a really good strategy. Um, you know, I've got, I've got a bunch of friends who are doing that and that works really well. I've gone the other side of things. I've bought in properties that were projects mm-hmm. and we fix things. We only fix what we need to fix. Mm-hmm. You know, if the roof has, uh, you know, maybe can pass for two years. Okay. Let's do an eight year patch yep. and get eight more years out of it. Yep. And so, but it's a way to get in, make a bunch of money, money, money early, and then save for those capital expenses later on. Yeah. And so I've gone that approach. So I have a lot more maintenance yep. on my properties. I have things happening on my properties more regularly. So that's just part of the expectations that I have on my listings that I need to be more involved or there's going to be more stuff that comes up. I need to save more money for it, but I don't have to put as much money in the front. But you're building margin. You're, you're knowing that going into it, right? Yeah, and this is – and something I was talking about, like like I, I do – I still do work on our, our projects. Like today I was doing a whole landscaping job, like big landscaping cleanup, the annual cleanup of, yep. one, of our, one of our properties. And we were talking – I was talking with, with my, uh, my operations gal and – and, and we we're talking about this concept of like, hey, like, like there's certain things about this property that aren't perfect. Yeah. 
and it's never going to be perfect. Yeah. But we're not going to spend money on that. Yeah. We're not going to go through there's there's kind of railroad ties that are, you know, uh, essentially retaining walls. And, and it's cool. It's kind of a cool vibe. And when they put it in, it's like, great. But the railroad ties are old. Yeah. And they're starting to, to crack yeah, yeah, yeah. and like, you know, break in some spots. And I'm like, are we really going to go through and pull all those railroad ties and, you know, pour a concrete retaining wall? Like, that's yeah. a lot of time, a lot of money. Are we going to yeah. do that? Is it always going to look a little bit funky? Yeah. The fact that it's like that? Sure. Um, but it's okay. Like, like, like we don't have to have the perfect like Instagram luxury property. Those properties, honestly, probably don't cash flow very well. You got to, but you, that's being honest about the asset that you have. Yeah. Right? And knowing yourself and saying, Hey, what's the core value of this? It's night. It's nightly. It's semi-nightly, it's monthly, right? Know, knowing yourself is being honest about the asset and not trying to make the asset something that it's not. Yeah, this asset, once again, it's not a reflection of you. This is about making money. Totally. It's not a reflection. Very simple. Well, I think that's a, a point that we can, we can kind of land this episode in that you're not, the, your property is not a reflection of you unless it's your dream house. If you're buying the house that you want to live in, in the exact neighborhood you want to live in, the exact city that you want to live in, and you want to have the elk head on the wall, and you want to have this, you know, whatever, whatever bullshit you want to have for yourself, we don't really care. This is not what we're talking about. This is this is a very utilitarian, time in, money out equation, building a portfolio that can support, support what you need to live off of and more. Right. That ideally, you have a portfolio of short-term rental properties that replaces an income that would be, of course, of a W-2. Part of that's based off your financial equation and what you're willing to sign up for from a responsibility and margin perspective with these assets. Assets, you're either going to manage yourself or you're going to pay someone to manage. Those are the only two options. There could be a hybrid approach, but really knowing yourself and being honest with yourself and knowing that you're going to change over time. You're not the same person at 22 that you are at 42. Knowing knowing what your goals are, if you want to be traveling, you know, for six months of the year and it'll be okay, you're gonna you're gonna acquire different properties than you were if you're gonna be living in the property and house hacking. It's just a different equation. Mm-hmm. Knowing yourself and being honest enough about the asset that you have access to now, or if you're acquiring what what property or asset you have access to purchasing based off your beer of entry and the cash that you have to go get it is, is part of the part of the equation we're talking about. We're capitalists. This, this is, this is a business that we're running. You're a full-time short-term rental operator. You're not a vacation. You're not a full-time vacationer. You're not a full-time, you're not retired, even though you're semi-retired because you don't have a W2, but understanding that you, you understand yourself enough that you can be dis you can be inconvenienced enough. You can build structures and processes well enough and you're willing to dig in and show up and do the annual maintenance. Now he said annual. If anyone's listening to this, he said annual <laughs> annual yard work maintenance. One time. Once a year. Once a year he's going back to an investment property and doing what he could pay someone else to do, but at this point in Christian's life, he's willing to take him and his wife and maybe some friends and his kids and make a day of it and update the exterior. I'm actually working with, you know, decking people, concrete contractors. I'm doing a whole other project to understand what do I want my backyard to look like as it pertains to what I personally want in my in my uh, master suite. 
as opposed to what my renters on the other side of the basement are going to see and feel and hear from a sound bearer perspective when they come and rent my space. But he's, but Christian said an annual yard working. And if you get this up and running, he knows himself enough that he just can schedule in enough time margin and say, Hey, I have this place set up enough that once a year, I'm going to put in a Saturday or a Sunday and up, update it and make sure that it's renting for as much as possible. Yeah. We basically just, we had a turnover today. We had a guest leave at 11 and new guests check in at four. So I lost $0 on vacancy. Boom. And it took us four hours. We showed up at 11 and we stayed till three and had the dump trailer out there and filled it up to the brim. Uh, it's a, it's a, you know, backyard with a ton of trees and leaves. And, and honestly, I've had some landscapers doing maintenance over, you know, and I have a guy who shows up once a week and mows the lawn and, uh, weed wax and blows and mows. And he does that, but it's a massive backyard. There's yeah. tons of trees. Branches need to be trimmed. You know, things need to be thinned. Like there's a lot of work to do that, you know, took three of us a solid four hours working really hard. Um, in 160 degree heat. That's right. And I'm willing to do that because honestly, I can't, I want to, it's hard to find a landscaper who will do that for me. Yeah. And, and secondly, they're not going to do it the way I really want it done. And this kind of gets back to that local concept, like having eyes on it. Like I hadn't spent a ton of property Sorry. I hadn't spent a ton of time at this property over the last couple of years. Cause I have cleaners. I have people doing house checks. My wife is kind of more in charge of how the house looks on the inside. But occasionally I've gone over there, you know, you know, once every month or a couple months. There's a couple times I looked at it. And I'm like, you know what? This place just isn't looking as great on the outside as it was. It really just needs a thorough, deep clean. Yeah. Um, and, and so I scheduled it and I did it. And unless I was there and saw it, I wouldn't have known. Yeah. Um, and as much as you have great people around you, nobody is going to quite have your eye your eye of your expectations, uh, the way you want things to look, the way you expect things to run, um, the, the placement of things in the property, where you want things staged for each guest. And it just takes time to kind of like dial that stuff in like over and over. We've been doing this for years and we're still making changes. We're always making changes, but it only happens by seeing your properties. What you're, you're making changes because you and Holly as the owner of the short-term rent, rental property, you yourself are changing. So your design aesthetic, your vision, how you want it to look, it changes over time. Like it's growing it, like your properties. I've lived in properties in, as, a, as, as a renter of people that have just been taking the money every month for 20 years and not done shit to the property. The experience is subpar. Now the price point, luckily for me, was also subpar. That's why it made it worth it. Yeah. But the reality is that are anything you own should be a reflection of you, your quality, your standards, your level of excellence. And ultimately we are curating experiences. I'm going to bring this up on probably every episode we do. Like your level of excellence is unique to you. And, but people are also paying to experience your level of excellence. And that's a great point, you know, because we did touch a minute ago and say, Hey, this isn't a reflection of you. Like the house is not a reflection of you. You can buy a really average home yep. in an average neighborhood mm-hmm. and make it a killer short-term rental totally experience. Slay it, dude. It'll you can communicate oh, yeah. out mm-hmm. the yin-yang. Yep. You can make it as clean as possible. Yep. You can put in really great furnishings. 
and artwork. Chocolate and on the pillow, wine when you get there. You dude. can make it yeah. an amazing experience for these guests. And it can't. It doesn't have to be the best house in the world. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're saying here is that, hey, you don't have to have the most luxury ex- luxury home to create an amazing experience in a short-term rental. This isn't a episode saying, hey, you know, uh, um, you know, just half-ass it or, or kind of like, you know, hack your way through it mm-hmm. and provide this crappy experience and charge guests a bunch. That's not going to work. Yeah. You're going to have to work hard not for your guests. It won't work, it won't work long-term. We work incredibly hard for our guests. Yeah. You know, we take guest feedback. We yeah. make adjustments. We're always making changes. We're always adjusting to try to find, um, you know, whoever our guest is in each listing, what is it? What is their needs? What is their wants? How do we give them a better experience? But you don't have to have the ritziest home and the ritziest neighborhood to do that. So, so I mean, this idea of short-term rental property management, the way that you and your, your partner approach it is a lifestyle business, right? And so you have a, a short-term rental operating lifestyle. Yes. And you've already budgeted in enough time where, and, and created enough systems and processes to hopefully minimize uh, as much inconvenience as possible. But you've already signed on as it, it is your um, primary income driver for your life. Absolutely. It's my only income driver at the moment. That being said, you own your own time. Absolutely. You, you, you are, you're retired, you, you have a level of wealth in that your passive income surpasses what you need to live off of. And I feel like whoever's listening to this podcast, if you resonate with that, you're vibing with us. Ultimately, I don't want to work for for anyone else any longer than I have to. I want to, I want to get passive income for stuff that I own that will will generate income for me forever. That being said, there's a lot of fucking work that goes in to making sure that my assets are performing month over month and I can maximize the opportunity that I I have done a lot of hard work to go ahead and invest in. Yeah, and like the story, we'll end it with this. Like the story of the hey, I did this, you know, I did my annual um, landscaping on one property today. Uh, on Wednesday, we did a seven-hour, which was the annual landscaping on that property. That property is a lot bigger, um, you know. But hey, you work really hard in the sun, yeah. sweating, yeah. getting dirty yeah. for one day. It's a great reminder. You're never too good for it. It's but hey, do I have to do it tomorrow? No, honestly, if I look at my calendar right now, there's nothing on it. There's nothing on my calendar tomorrow. And that's, and that's where this idea of becoming a, a five-star um, you know, rent, short-term rental operator, creating five-star experiences, it matters, right? So there is a way to invest in assets that continue to perform when we sleep every day, every day of the year. It builds a lifestyle that you want to build, that your assets are performing for you. So in this episode, uh, we're talking about you know, this idea of local versus remote. Vacation rental versus flex prop, and this idea of knowing your customer and your area. But within that, it's it's actually a conversation that you have to have with you and knowing yourself and what you're willing to sign up for. If you have any thoughts on that, you want to hear any more, kind of do any deep dives on that, let us know. We're totally open to your questions, your comments. As always, we are not financial advisors. <laughs> we, are, we, are not, we are not real estate advisors. We are not legal advisors. Everything you're talking, we're talking about here is based off our personal experiences, our personal lifestyles with our partners and our families, 
uh, moving real money around. Not a lot of money. We didn't start as millionaires. We're not millionaires yet, but our asset, our assets are accumulating as we speak. Well, I can't speak for both. So I can speak for myself. Um, this podcast is only for fun. Uh, we're continuing to work through and, and workshop these ideas. We want to bring you into the conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today. Until next time, Christian and Dennis are out. Booking confirmed. We'll see you on episode three. See ya.